people always ask me all the time, like, well, what do you feel? Do you feel white or do you feel black? Right. And you're like, or which do you feel more of? Like, like you know, today I wake up. I'm like, you know what? I'm feeling a little black today. <laughs> so I'm going to, like, really just amp that up. Right. Or, like, you know, it's not it's not something that you wake up and it's like, oh, I feel whatever. Yeah. And yeah, it's, the first thing you think isn't, I am a black woman. I'm, right, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't make any think, sense. I'm and waking it, up. Exactly. What do I want for breakfast? Right. But <laughs> in, in their minds, and I can understand where that comes from, is because, like, I, I do wake up and I do see a normally white culture this is the 199th episode of getting better acquainted so next week it's going to be the getting better acquainted 200 season five episodes where the script is flicked and guest hosts interview me we get to see if i'm a consistent character and get to see what this show would be like if other people were at its helm The hashtag to use if you're talking about getting better acquainted or sharing your favorite episodes from the over 200 that have gone out already is GBA200. I did have the keys to the culture. You know, I did have a family that embraced art and embraced expression and stuff like that. But I never understood that. And I never, I don't know what was going on, like, inside my own head that kept me from doing that. But... You know, it's just, it was a weird, it was a weird flip, I think. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Adele. Hello, Adele. Hi. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many of these conversations I do, I always do this nervous laugh when I do that hello. It's strange, isn't it? Yeah, same. And I'll just probably be smiling throughout the whole thing because I'm, I don't know, I'm not used to being on a microphone. Right. So it'll be fine. Well, hopefully you'll, hopefully you'll forget it as, as it goes on. But yeah, it is it's a strange thing. And it's always like we, we've just been talking naturally. Yeah. And then we're sort of like, now we're doing a podcast. Yeah. Now, yeah. So it's, it's, it, is, it is strange, but hopefully an enjoyable strange. The first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Okay. Well, I know you through my fiance, Sophia Walker. We met... I think the, for the first time in Edinburgh at the Fringe this right. past summer. Yes, yes. Yeah. And she was doing her show, Can't Care, Won't Care, and Eight Mistakes. And I was just kind of sitting in the audience, just sitting there, basically, um, <laughs> acting as a lackey. Right. And uh, yeah, so then we got introduced. And I've heard your podcast before through her. And yeah, she's through, been on the show. So. Yeah, exactly. So I was just kind of like in the States, sitting at my desk at my office, hating my job and just like listening to stand-up tragedy on my earphones. Wow. Like a weirdo. I guess that's kind of how I know you. Yeah. I mean, that's about right. And, and w- w- when we were, when I was in Edinburgh, we had you on at stand-up tragedy. Yeah. Um, and like, it do- I don't often have performers on without really knowing anything about them, but I'm such a fan of Sophia that when she says someone's good, I they're going to be good. And yeah. she was like, Adele's better than me. You won't believe, you know, you won't oh. believe it. And, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I'm not saying you're better than her, but you did blow me away uh, when you. you, when you first perform with us. I was like, wow, you know, this is, this person's some, something special. Um, <laughs> so I was really pleased to have you back again when we came back to London and have you do another set, uh, yeah. which was equally uh, blowing away if that's a word 
don't. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, the second question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? What do I do now? The awkward question at parties. I used to live in Washington, D.C., and I kind of was in a rut and needed a, like a life change, so I decided to pack up all of my things and go to graduate school in the United Kingdom. So basically now I'm a publishing graduate student at Oxford Brooks and I am the, oh god this is such a title, I am the video and social media coordinator for the New College of Humanities in London. Wow. And do all of that and write and pick up gigs where I can right. and stuff like that. So that's what I'm doing now. So your background of what you've been working on before this is you've been doing sort of journalism and video, right? Yeah. Um, so I was a video editor and video producer for a really long time. That's what I got my degree in, in multimedia journalism. And so I worked at a political newspaper in DC for about two and a half years before coming here. So yeah, so basically digital media stuff like right. that. Kind of the broad umbrella of journalism yeah. in different kind of more more modern forms of journalism. Exactly, guess, right? yeah. Pretty much like learning on your feet, picking up what you can, where you can, just kind of running around basically like a crazy person yeah. was, my, was my life for about two and a half years. So yeah, I'm very tired. Right. Very tired. Yeah. My legs are killing me. Well, it must be, yeah, it must be nice to be able to sort of sit down and yeah. write essays for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what attracted you to video journalism and journalism in general, I guess? Um, I don't know, actually. Okay, here's the, the truth is, is that I'm not a, I'm a very lazy person. And I like having the, the thought of being able to just like sit down and just edit videos and stuff like that was seemed to be like an easy route for me to go. So it's part laziness and part like I actually do like doing it. And kind of I like putting together stories in a video sense, it's like putting together a puzzle for me. And I think microphones are sexy. It's weird. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's kind of what got me into it. And my dad's a documentary filmmaker. So I kind of learned from him a lot of the things, even though I got started before him. But so we kind of feed off of each other in that, cool. that sense. So yeah. Well, my dad's a, a documentary filmmaker, strangely, no strangely, yeah, probably a, probably different kinds of films. I don't know, but my my dad made documentary films for the Coal Board um, cool. in the UK. You know, because my dad was fifty eight when I was born, so he's quite uh-huh. he's, he's ninety, coming up ninety one oh, wow. now. Um, so he was making, I guess they're kind of like propaganda films to a certain extent because they're for the Coal Board, okay. but they were representing the coal industry in this country, which was massively attacked by the government. Yeah. And like uh, a, a real class issue was around uh, yeah. around what was happening in the coal board and the coal industry. Uh, he was sort of there to make kind of, I guess, yeah, positive, like positive. They used to have like um, a magazine show in in cinemas uh-huh. uh, so you'd have like the magazine here's what's happening in the coal industry before you'd have your feature film yeah. and he made sort of things like that and, and longer features that's cool but it was a sort of strange contrast in that the people making the films him him being one of them were like a, a kind of socialist artist kind of co-op yeah um but they were sort of bought in by the coal board to represent the coal industry. And then they were sort of trying to put their politics, put some of the, mm-hmm. the kind of politics into the films at the same time as not annoying the coal board. Yeah. And it wasn't free documentary making, right? Right. There was loads of requirements all right. around it. But good for him for like, you know, trying to put his 
his spin on it in in a sense. I feel like that's the thing about documentaries. It's like my dad does films about largely about minorities and how in the States that's a pretty big issue to say the least and and kind of like... I um, think it is here too. Yeah, yeah, it probably is everywhere. And about kind of like looking at minorities in different in different aspects so he did a film about a japanese artist and then he did a film about a black trauma surgeon kind of thing and and with each of those he kind of collaborates it with social issues that are going around so like with a trauma surgeon he patches up gang bangers and stuff like that and so that goes directly into you know gang violence and black african-american males and you know kind of things and so it's i think it's important as a documentary filmmaker and as a filmmaker in general if you have a platform to you know get something out to to a mass audience you know to have your stuff say something you know and even so, like, even if it is, you know, partnered with a cold board or, you know, something like that, where you have, like, all these requirements, I think it's still so important to have that spin on it. You know, like, what? Yeah. it's not just a propaganda piece. It's a propaganda piece with a message. With something trying, yeah, yeah, trying to come through. And I also think that there's a kind of, even if you're making something that's kind of relatively representing the status quo in what you're doing, if you're showing sort of un- unseen groups, yeah. and I guess coal, the coal mining communities, like the, the poor working class communities of, of South Wales or whatever, when they're representing those communities and showing the strengths and the and the positives within those communities, that was quite a radical act, perhaps, when the government was saying, you know, they're, they're the enemy. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, in, in the final years of the conflicts here, you know, they were sending the army against uh, the striking coal miners yeah. uh, in a similar way to the state is does terrible things to to people of color in in mm-hmm. America at the moment right yeah. it's 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 you you can see you you can tell who are the dif- disenfranchised by who the right. government is sending <laughs> sending armies and police against right, right exactly and it, i mean like it's all i think it all just stems from well it stems from a lot of things but i think one of it stems from the fact that there's a vast misunderstanding you know and i think if if more people knew that, you know, minorities and disenfranchised people, like, actually exist for once and, you know, aren't all the same. We're not all the kind of stereotypes that you see and stuff like that. Like, if we do, if you give us an inch in that kind of way, I feel like it would go a long way towards creating, like, an understanding. Right. Right? Because, like, people are afraid of things that they don't get. Right. And they're wary of things that aren't like them and, like, stuff like that. And, like... Yeah, we're all people, but at the same time, it's like, I look different than you, or I I live a different lifestyle than you, and that creates, like, an automatic hostility, yeah. right? But if you're not exposed to that kind of stuff, then, of course, you're going to, like, think it's weird and right. not understand it and back off from it. So it's like, if you get good exposure, and if you show that, you know, we're not monsters and, you know, kind of stuff like that, I feel like that would go a long way. Right. You know, so it's just, yeah. Well, that's something I think about a lot in terms of, I mean, you know, I've suddenly found myself uh, in the position of being a, a slightly a gatekeeper, right? Mm. Slightly a gatekeeper. I still feel uncomfortable completely uh, embracing that. Yeah. But, 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 but I mean, and that's something I'm constantly thinking about with stand-up tragedy, trying to, to represent lots of different voices. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, everybody understands tragedy, right? That's right. not, a, that's not limited to any group exactly. uh, although it has been historically only you know that you know who, the greatest tragic tragic people we know are like Shakespeare Marlowe like 
the Greeks, they're all white. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm trying to get that representation on stage. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, there's all of these other issues of like, you know, I don't want to be tokenistic about it. I yeah. don't want to have inferior quality stuff from, from, from minority groups because that doesn't represent mm-hmm. what, what minority groups can do either. And so right. it's really, and also just the, just the barrier of knowing people. Yeah. Just the fact that different groups inhabit different spaces within society, and that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. But it's also uh, a reality that you're facing when you're trying to book a lineup and you've got a deadline and you have to get it. Yeah. You know, so sometimes I fail, sometimes I succeed. Um, we're always good on on having a good gender balance. I yeah. think um, generally LGBT balance actually is really quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, minority groups of, based on race is something that I'm I, I've I've been trying to work up over the last couple of years and uh, you've been part of helping me do that you know, as far as the, whether that's whether that I don't know how the hell that makes you <laughs> feel in being termed in that way but it's fine but I mean and and so it, but then I noticed you know this year having more people of color on our stage over Edinburgh was really good but I yeah. think that there were there were other groups that then were pushed you know because there's only so many groups well, you can have that's the thing it's like stage. if you if you pay if you pay attention to like okay well we're gonna get you know, we're going to really focus on getting more and more, you know, people of color. And then, you know, that ostracizes like a whole nother group that you haven't even thought of. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, I think it's it's hard as as an organizer to to really get gather all of the people. You know, I feel like at, at some point it is on on the part of us as individuals saying like, hey, I don't think my voice has been well represented. Let me get in contact with you. So right. you're at least aware of like, hey, this little thing exists, Yeah, you know, kind of thing. And so it's like, I don't know, back in D.C., I feel like a lot of people were, were, were complaining that, you know, we were, we were ignoring a certain subset, you know, of people or we were, and it wasn't like we were trying to consciously marginalize people and stuff like no. that, but it was just, it was just such a, it was such a big thing. And you're trying to, if you're acting on a big scene, you know, you're gonna, you can't get to everybody. Right. And so it's up to, I think, individuals to say like, hey, this is what we want to do. And this is what we want to say. And it's, and then, and then as the organizer, you can say like, oh crap, you're right. Let's, let's create a space and let's, let's put you in there, you know? And I feel like it's, it's a bad thing when the organizer steps back and says, no, you know, like that's not. not I think organizers need to be aware of it. We need to be doing our best, but probably not completely blaming ourselves when we fail yeah I think and also I think there's different kinds of organizers so I'm relatively grassroots I'm trying to build an organization the BBC have no excuse they have access they have access so far reaching everybody they can put out a call and 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 everyone will hear that call and so that they have much less excuse for not representing people equally right but then there's you know when do I become the BBC well hopefully someday (laughs) but uh but but you know, it's yeah. it's that thing of where's the line? When how do I hold myself accountable? But, yeah, yeah. Although your your fiance thinks I, I think too much. <laughs> you know, I, I get I tie myself in knots <laughs> with all of this overthinking. But I think it's, I think it's good. Like not necessarily overthinking. Like you should definitely just breathe a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Right. Um, yeah, hyperventilating is not good, especially sure. on stage. <laughs> but just like you know, it is. It is. It's not like you're. You're not. You're not a one-man show. You have, like, people to help. But then again, like, you are a small, small organization, yeah. like, in the, the core group of people that you have. I mean, like, you're, it's a fantastic thing. 
Like, thank you. Honestly, like we <laughs> don't, fishing. we don't, we don't have anything <laughs> like this in the states. Like you know, I feel like in where I'm from, or at least, and I can only speak about the scene that I'm used to being in, which is in right. the Washington D.C. scene. It feels like we're different groups of people. You know, there's there's the there's the slam scene, so Butway Poetry Slam, and then you have your LGBT scene, which does like our own little thing, and then you have you know, basically, it's like a more kind of like urban kind of thing. Not necessarily focused on African Americans, but it is like it's a harder, more scene where it's just like you know, spitting poems right. and like it's rowdy Co- and like yeah, the influences are coming from hip hop and and, exactly. that, and that community that's built up there, right? Exactly. And then you have like, you know the 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 college groups and stuff like that. And so we're we're operating we're all in one city, but we're operating on totally different levels. And there's no interconnection between right. between all everything and and. It's not even interconnection based on poetry. It's even if we had like a theme, like, you know, tragedy. Everybody has a tragic poem. Everybody, that's what we do as poets. Like, we just talk about right. sad things yeah. all the time, you know? And Yeah, it's much easier to find spoken word people than comedians to do my night. <laughs> exactly, yeah. We just love talking about horrible things that have happened right. to us. And so it's just, if we could just like admit that, you know, and come under like one umbrella, you know, instead of being you know, oh, well, I'm poet and I'm poet over here. It's just like, no, we're all, we all have these stories. So let's all share these stories, you know, not make people feel bad about, oh, well, your story is better than mine and like stuff like that. It's just, I think that's crap. So yeah, Yeah. this is awesome. And I think think that the the biggest group that that I miss uh, out of my stage and I want to get on my stage and the hardest group to get for for the, for the, is, is people who are working class, right? Mm -hmm. Which covers all all of the spectrum right. but the thing is once you're in the arts uh you're probably going to be more likely to uh, if even if your background is working class by the time you're on the stage yeah you know you've probably been educated in a university you've probably had all of these things that, mm-hmm. that change or mess with your class a little bit yeah and I think like and another thing, of course, is that if you want to get working class people on stage, you need to be able to pay. Yep. Uh, and that's the thing. One, until I can be able to pay people, I can only ever get people who who are prepared, who who can afford to give their time for free. Right. And I'm, you know, starting to manage to pay people here and there little bits. But 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 you know, that's the biggest biggest barrier I think for a lot of people from all minority groups really. Yeah. Um, to get onto the stage is is money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfor- yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. 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 But I feel like I don't know, I think it's it's hard to to figure out how to get those groups in, you know? Because it's it's not just saying like, "Hey, we give for you a space to to share your story and to to talk and for you to have a voice and stuff like that." Sometimes I I think that having a voice isn't enough, you know, especially for those groups of people who are used to not having a voice. And who are used to always being told, you know, you're down here. We're not going to talk about it. You know, you live your life. Get on with it. Do your work. It's, you know, whatever. And it's just like, if you're never given given the opportunity or even acknowledgement that you have the capability to, you know, write or right. to talk or to, to, to share and stuff like that. Like that, that's embedded in a certain personal culture that you have. And I feel like it takes a lot to break out of it. So mm. it's not, I feel like a lot of it's not just like, oh, hey, we'll give you 50 quid to do this or we'll right. give you 30 quid to do this. It's like, if you don't have that personal, like, 
thing within you. I don't even know what it's called, you know? You know, no, I don't feel like no, no amount of money is going to be like, no amount of money is going to propel you to, to do that. Right. You know? Yeah. So... No, no, it's, yeah. it's feeling like your voice. I mean, it's it's priv- to a certain extent it's privileged, right? Yeah. Like so, like if you're from like me, if you if you tick all of the the problematic boxes mm-hmm. uh, on the check sheet, I've you know, as much as I've got mental health issues and insecurities and all of these things, I've been trained to speak with confidence right. in society to a certain extent. I've been trained to assume my voice is going to be heard. Yeah. Um, and sure, I've been also. You know, on a personal level, you know, not not had that experience in in my home life or whatever. Yeah. I, I've got issues, which I hope means that I'm more sympathetic to other people's issues. But uh, but definitely, I, I I always call it the keys to the culture, right? You've yeah. got the keys to the culture, or you, or you haven't, and 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 I've got the keys to the culture to a certain extent. But then, if I meet someone who's been Oxford educated, mm-hmm. who's gone to, to Eton or whatever in in, in this in this country's cultural context, they've they've got the keys to like the sports car version of culture right. <laughs> and, yeah. I'm, and I'm in the mini yeah. but then there's somebody else who's on a motorbike or there's somebody else who's not even able to, you know has to walk right yeah and we're exactly. talking about the have to walk people exactly yeah how do you get them in the car mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and it's it's so important like at an early age I feel like is where you where you catch it you know like my family's been, or my mom's side, actually my, my dad's side, but my mom's side mainly is is a family full of artists. Like my grandmother's a painter, her mother's a painter, my mother's a poet, my grandfather's a poet and composer, blah, 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 blah. And I've always felt like as, as like when I was a kid and stuff like that, I used to write and like stuff like that. But at the same time, I was very quiet and I was very internal and I didn't think that you know, if anybody, like, tried to talk to me about something or whatever, I wouldn't say anything. I would just, like, sit there and cry because I don't know why. But my face leaks all the time. Right. And and, then, and I never realized, like, why that was or, like, where that came from and stuff like that. Like, I was always, like, keen to, you know, write my feelings down in a book. Like, if I was angry with my parents, I'd write them a letter and then, like, put the letter under their, their, their door. But I never, I never said anything. Ever. Wow. Like, I just sat there in silence. And I was silent for all of, like, high school. And it wasn't until college, I think, where I kind of got let out of my box a little. That was when I first was exposed to spoken word in the first place. People right. were like, hey, people do poems on stage and they talk about things that you feel things about. I was like, wow! Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and, and, and then I kind, of, I kind of got in my head that, you know, people, it's okay to to talk about the things that you feel inside of you and stuff like that. You don't have to just keep it internal and you don't have to just write it down and put it away. Right. You know, because I felt like even though I wrote stuff down, people were like, oh, write it out. You know, write out your feelings. Like, that doesn't do anything for me because I still, I write it out and then it stays on the page and then I keep that page and it's still within my little box. Right. You know, and that doesn't offer, that's not helpful. That's not cathartic. That doesn't feel like a release for me kind Mm. of thing. And so doing spoken word and like getting on a stage or even just talking you know I've learned how to talk basically and it and it's it's been a weird thing to experience because I did have the keys to the culture you know I did have a family that embraced art and embraced expression and stuff like that but I never understood that and I never I don't know what was going on yeah. like inside my own head that kept me from doing that but 
you know, it's just, it was a weird, it was a weird flip, I think. And I, and I don't, I'm still kind of going through that. Like I'm still like my, like Sophia says, you know, you should talk about your feelings more. You should like, you know, if you're mad at something, be mad at it. I'm like, yeah. but I can't do that. I just have to like keep it in here. And then I get stressed out and then like, you know, I have panic attacks and cry. Right. So, which isn't helpful for anybody. Yeah. So, so yeah. So it's a, it's a weird kind of self-discovery thing. I think that I think only can come from the person, Right. you know, like yeah. we can give people tools to, to get out there. We can do as many workshops as we want and we can do as many, you know, open mics and stuff like that as we want. But until that person realizes that like, oh, it's okay for me to talk about this thing or talk about me or talk about whatever it is I feel like talking about, you know, I feel like that's when we're actually going to get somewhere. Yeah. And I think it's feeling, Feeling like people want to hear what you have to say yeah. is the hardest thing that I've I've found over over yeah. the years, and I, I find that the more honest I am on stage, the more I acknowledge my actual real emotional feelings, right? Uh, right? The more people respond to it, and that's been a really liberating thing. In that, I thought, you know, I used to be an awkward, nervous person. I still am, but now when I'm on stage, I'm awkward and nervous comfortably. Yeah. Um, And and, and people like that. They like suddenly, hang on, we've all got permission now to be a bit awkward, to acknowledge these kind of weaker sides of ourselves. I don't even like the word weaker about the, but but, but, yeah. And and it's, that's been surprising to me. And I've, and I didn't realise how, I I thought I was more confident as a teenager than I turned out to be because Mm -hmm. I, I, what I was as a teenager was confident against adversity, right? Yeah. There was a lot of bullying going on. There was a lot of things. It was like a, I'm going to, I'm going to find something. With, but then when that all bullying went away, I, I was less confident because I didn't have anything to push against. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a very, it's, 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 a, it's a, I guess it's a constantly evolving process, finding a voice and, and working out how to use it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I was astonished actually that people actually liked hearing like feelings you know it's like you said I think that's why spoken word and poetry is so addicting it's because people get to sit in the audience and be like oh my gosh there are people out here who are talking about things that I feel on the inside Mm. and like that I don't want to talk about but people are up here talking about it and I can totally relate to that and I think that's that's why spoken word is so popular but I also think it's addicting for the poet because you know until I realized that I could get on stage and talk about my you know, wanting to hold my boobs when I hold, when I run down the stairs or, you know, my, my feelings about, you know, being biracial and my feelings about, you know, this, my feelings about that kind of stuff. And like, until I learned that people actually want to hear that and like people don't mind listening to me, Mm -hmm. like that's a weirdly empowering thing, you know, it's like, it's a different thing, I think, than like just sitting down and like having a conversation with somebody because then it's a back and forth and kind of stuff like that. And you have to deal with, you know, their 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 responses and we have to process and like stuff like that. But when you're just standing on stage saying like this is this is my life and this is this is how I feel about this. This is what I think is messed up. This is what I think is great, but mostly messed up. Like, you know, it's it's a one it's a one-way thing, right? But it actually turns into a two-way thing because then the audience responds and gives you feedback back, 
you know, in, in whether it's snaps or applause or somebody comes up to you afterwards and say like, hey, that poem really meant something to me. Thank you for doing that. Right. You know, it's like that it hits you. It's like, oh, crap. Like, yeah, this actually means stuff. Well, I find it's really fascinating about spoken word. And I, I did true storytelling, which is a similar thing of people getting up on stage and being able to, to, to everyone having to listen to them. Mm. So one of the things I always say about I, I run a night in Hackney for Spark London, which is true storytelling night. And there's a regular who, who comes there every 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 month. Uh, and she's she's a van, a working class van driver in, in London. And I, I just love the fact that a room full of people has to listen to a story from a working class woman who drives a, a white electric like, drives vans every month. Like, like, that's great. Yeah. Like, it's great that a load of people who have to listen to that because, you know, that's a voice we don't hear so often, right? Mm-hmm. But but one of the things I find about all of these things is the more specific you are about your own experience, the kind of more universal it becomes. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, that's the wonderful thing about having having diverse lineups, right? I can, I, I'll be like, oh, you know, your your poetry, right? And, and, and you know, if people looked at us, uh, they would assume we have very different experiences. Mm-hmm. But your poetry, and we do, I'm not saying we don't, <laughs> um, but your your poetry really touched, you know, really deep things in my, 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 in my feelings about, you know, love or family or all of these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and and you know it's and it's because you're being specific to your own specific uh, identity, and uh, even though those things are are alien as well as uh, familiar to mm-hmm. me, like it, it touches me deep down, and I think that's that's a, a, a really great thing. Yeah. Um, that, that 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 when we celebrate our difference, it ultimately means we understand our similarities too. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I think that that's the crux of what what spoken word is you know i mean sophia and i met back like it was like what two and a half years ago something like that at a poetry night it was a lgbt slam thing or whatever and it was my i think my second time on stage like performing anything and i was just kind of like i did i did this poem about i don't even remember what it was about honestly but it was it was interesting because she came up to me and she she told me about how the poem was really really good not only but like also how she related to it and stuff like that and I was just thinking I was like who are you like you're this like weird like British UK like white short person with really like long blonde hair and I'm the complete opposite of you and yet here you are telling me that you know you related to my stuff right you know, and I just like I couldn't understand that. Right. And but, it was just like weird. But the strange thing is, I mean, being a part of the cult, you know, American culture, you'll have grown up relating to white people on screen, right? Somewhere. Yeah. So, so it, it makes it makes sense, but it's so because of the underrepresentation, it it's strange to us mm-hmm. uh, because we're we're only used to seeing one kind of people. Right. And yeah, so we don't realize we can identify with each other. It's strange. exactly. It's 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 very very weird weird thing I think in in terms of like so people always ask me all the time like well what do you feel do you feel white or do you feel black right and like or which do you feel more of like like you know today I wake up I'm like you know what I'm feeling a little black today <laughs> so I'm gonna like really just amp that up right. or like you know it's not it's not something like you wake up and it's like oh I feel whatever yeah. And yeah, it's, the first thing you think isn't I am a black woman. I'm, right, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't make any think, sense. I'm it, waking up. Exactly. What do I want for breakfast? Right. But <laughs> in in their minds, and I can understand where that comes from, is because like I I do wake up and I do see a 
normally white culture, right? right. Like I, right. and especially in the states, not actually so much now that I moved to London. That's kind of the lines have been kind of blurred when it comes to 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 what I see culture culture wise. But definitely back in the states, it was all white all the time. Like I had all white friends. My school was predominant. It was it was diverse, but it was heavily in a, in a white suburban neighborhood kind of thing. You know, I worked with all all white people, you know, kind of thing. And it's just, it's a weird, like, how much that plays into how you identify, you know? And so, you know, people call me Oreo all the time, and I hate that. Because A, I'm not a cookie. Mm -hmm. And B, it's just like, you can't be black on the outside and white on the inside. That's not a thing, you know? It's just, it's just not, not a thing. And so, it's weird trying to find an identity and, like, things to relate to. And things like to like, oh, I can see myself in this person or I can see myself in, in this TV show or whatever. I don't really have that on, on a regular basis. And actually, like if I am confronted with that, if there's like there's a poet on stage who's, you know, biracial and talking about her hair and stuff like that, I get really nervous and I get like really anxious. And I'm just like, oh, God. See, and it just like fills me like this, like fear. And I don't know where that comes from or why. That's fascinating to me. I mean, I mean, fascinating sounds slightly patron, but I'll, I'll, I'll explain why I'm interested particularly in it. So, I mean, one of the things that like what you were talking about is, you know, once you, once you know people of color, mm-hmm. then you kind of have a different perspective. You know, if you know them personally, well, I mean, I was always anti-racist, right? Cause that's the, the cult that's, I've got progressive parents, mm-hmm. but I mean, I lived in parts of the country that were, were not particularly diverse and I didn't have a particularly diverse group or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but my niece uh, is is biracial, right? Mm-hmm. So, and you know she's she's nine now, and so that changed my outlook, right? Walking right. down the street, uh, holding the hand of a little girl uh, of color, right. changed the way people looked at me. Right. Changed the way that people, and I saw how people looked at her, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my sister always describes like you know little old ladies coming. And this is quite a sad story, but coming over to the to the pram and going, oh, let's see your little baby pulling back the cover and going, and and they're changed like once they saw it wasn't a white yeah. kid they they changed mm-hmm. um and so obviously these things are, are, are more kind of personal to me now yeah uh I, i'm not saying that it should have taken that but they are that, that's how, how it worked for me um and and you know my you know my gran my gran never met uh my my niece because she, mm-hmm. because of my gran's racism that that was a surprise to yeah. me that that went down that way. But anyway, so now she's nine. Last year, I had a conversation with her about Doctor Who, right? Because mm-hmm. the new Doctor Who was coming. She was into Harry Potter. She was annoyed that it's the new guy. She wanted it to be Daniel Radcliffe, right? Because uh-huh. a young <laughs> young guy. And I was like, well, why does it have to be Daniel Radcliffe? Why can't it be Rihanna, right? Mm-hmm. And she, she didn't buy that at the time. We had this kind of discussion and mm-hmm. she was like well I wanted to be Daniel and basically she wanted it to be Daniel Radcliffe because that's who she fancies I like uh, or whatever right. you feel when you're nine or eight um <laughs> so, but 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 this year I went to see her at Christmas again or just before Christmas again and we were we were talking about a- Annie coming out mm-hmm. and yeah. she's really against Annie she doesn't like the idea of it and I was surprised right because you know so if people don't know, the new Annie's going to have uh, is, is is about a black girl mm-hmm. uh, rather than a white girl. Yeah. And I thought, you know, this is going to be great for for my niece. Mm-hmm. But her her reaction was very much, yeah, I'm not. 
I, I'm not interested in it. And we've sort of we picked it apart because obviously we're we're having to talk to her about yeah. race now, right? Yeah. Because she's brought up in a in a white middle class progressive yeah. school, so she thinks the police are safe, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's definitely a time to be sort of starting to 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 take those myths away, right? Um, sadly, yeah. Um, and so we're sort of talking around it, and and it it kind of feels to me like from what I got from her that the reason she doesn't like the idea of Annie is exactly that kind of thing that you're talking about of she's going to have to think about race the whole time yep um and and she she doesn't have to think about race when she watches the old Annie exactly exactly it makes it so so apparent that that you're different right and that you're not and it's just I don't know for me for me personally I don't know if this is the same way your niece feels but if I if I do see that and even and I can there was something I just I can't put my finger on it, but there was something when I was little. There was I, I there was there was a character kind of like like that, and the character was like really comfortable and like really like happy and like was living that life, and she was famous and like whatever. And I I was just like I can't be that comfortable, right. and I don't know how to be that comfortable. And I think honestly that's what it is. It's like if I see, you know, a really like awesome like female like biracial or minority poet just like going at it I'm just like oh my god like I can't be that and I don't I don't feel like I have that within me because I feel like that would just it just makes the differences so so apparent and I don't know how to get to that kind of level of comfortable you know within myself to be like that brazen and be like that like look at me like I'm totally within my skin I know where I belong I know I am this place I know how I fit in here and some of that I was like no freaking idea right. you know and like that's when it's just like really makes it's just like I just want you to go away now please but they probably feel the same way you know seeing you maybe maybe you know, I don't I know mean, you know because everyone everyone looks at someone on stage and goes wow they've got this confidence mm-hmm. but then when when we come off stage we don't have that confidence right we just get it for the time we're up yeah on stage. i don't know maybe i mean maybe it's jealousy honestly i don't <laughs> that's know fine. I, think, I think i think i think i'm just jealous right. i think that's what it is i mean like you know we my cousins so on my dad's side my dad is my dad's black and my mom's white so on my dad's side my cousins um I don't know how to how to describe them. Um, they're kind of like they, they they live in the hood. They're just they're very like urban, you know, mm. kind of kind of people. And my mom's side, so my parents are from the same city. So my dad is from one side of the city. So like the very impoverished, underdeveloped kind of city. And then on the other side of it is my mom's family. They live in you know your white picket fenceville. Um, you know, live in Pittsburgh, you know, kind of thing. And so going back and forth from one side of the family to the other, it was like, it was interesting for me to see, to look at, look back on my own comfort levels. You know, when I was a kid, I wasn't really thinking about it. I was just like, this is, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. But looking back on it as an adult, I understood that I was more comfortable in the white areas and more comfortable hanging out with my mom's family. And I think that's not because... I felt safer and not because, you know, I felt white. It was because I think I was familiar with that more. Right. I was more familiar right. with that life because, you know, we, my, my nuclear family, we are upper middle class kind of thing. Like that's what I was used to. And then we went to my dad's side and I was, I was comfortable with my family. 
you know, I was there, you know, I was raised with them, you know, mm. my grandmother's my rock, like, kind of thing. But we would go outside and, like, we would go out to the playground or my cousin was take me, would take me to the corner shop and stuff like that. And that's when I would get really nervous and not because of, I felt unsafe, but because I felt like I didn't fit in. And I didn't know how far my light skin would take me. Right. Kind of thing. Because that's, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing if you're biracial, I imagine. Yeah. Um, that, you know, you're basically, you don't fit in to either group. You're marked yeah. out clearly exactly. by, the, by your skin color in either group. Exactly. I'm either too dark or I'm too yeah. light, you know, yeah, and I'm it, not, yeah. Because from the dominant white supremacist point of view, like, uh, you know, whatever your skin color, if you're not white, you're mm-hmm. black. Oh, right? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. definitely clearly yeah. how it works. I mean, uh-huh. I mean. I don't know if I'm white explaining or whatever they people say these days, yeah. but but like yeah, if you're biracial, you've also got that in, in black communities mm-hmm. in a way. I mean, I guess that's what you're you're, you're talking about. Yeah, it's the like um, we call it the paper bag test. So if you're lighter than a paper bag, you're right. sent you're sent that's too light. Right. So if you're darker than a paper bag, then you're fine, kind of thing. So it's just it's a weird it's a weird thing to be conscious of when you walk around. Yeah, kind of thing. So I don't, I don't know. So it's just like, it's like, I soon, I don't know when, when that happened that like my, something in my brain clicked and it was like, oh, we're going to be aware of everything now. And, and yeah. so it's just now it's just kind of like walking through the world and just being like, okay, how do we feel about this? How do we feel about this? And I kind of have to backtrack on myself and figure out why I feel these things in order to have them make sense, I guess. Right. Yeah. And that's a lot of work that you have, um, you're having to do all yeah. the time that white people don't have to do. Yeah. Right? So yeah. that's an extra part of the kind of the, 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 the element, you know, the, the things you have to work through to get those keys of culture. Exactly. I and I feel like I feel like in the UK, and maybe that's just, maybe this comes from just a lack of understanding British culture and, and the culture here when it comes to race and stuff like that. But I feel like I have to think about it more when I'm in the States. So, like, I feel like here... I feel like my race and, and my, my, my biracialness, I don't know if that's a word, it's not a word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, can make, you can make new words. Whatever. You can make new words. That's um, the beauty of words. Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like that is less important than my, my class and stuff like that. Whereas in the States, it was the opposite way around. My, my race and my biracialness or whatever was more important than my class. And I was, right. I was talking to Sophia about how I wasn't a special snowflake anymore because I was so used to like, you know, being, being on the, like the low end of things, even though like my, my parents are upper middle class and stuff like that. I was so used to like being treated like a minority and, and not having that privilege and, and, mm. and stuff like that and having to fight and be the one in the office to correct people and be the one in school to be like, you're a hot mess please take that away kind of thing. And, and here nobody looks at me like nobody thinks twice. And it's just like, Oh, because they see the upper middle class and you know, my hair, my skin, that doesn't really matter, you know, which is a weird thing. Like, I guess having that kind of, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that, that I can understand why you have that, that, that feeling. I think that might be more a, a London specific thing to a certain extent. Yeah, maybe that's it. it would be, I mean, I, I think it's different in different, not just London, in 
there are certain diverse cities in this country and yeah. there are then there is the undiverse countryside uh, and then the, the there are the there are very segregated uh, cities in this in this country mm-hmm. um where you know and and you, and you get the sorts of things that you would have i think experienced in in, in america i'm saying all of this yeah uh, with not fully understanding what it's like to be a person of color and yeah. definitely not knowing what it's like in america <laughs> and not really knowing what it's like to live in the, the countryside that much I'm yeah like, that's interesting i mean like that's <laughs> the thing isn't it it's just like everything is so dependent on where you are right it's like right i feel this sort of way in in london right but god knows how i would feel if i was put in you know the countryside or somewhere that I'm, i've never been and yeah. stuff like that you know it's just like i came over here totally unprepared and totally unaware of the social issues you know it's just like i i understand a little bit about politics i understand a little bit about you know the culture and stuff like that but coming here and seeing how the culture plays out and and how how relegated it is to that little bit of london that i'm in right. and then i go to another little bit of london and like oh crap everything's different have to learn this and then i go to like and then i go to school in oxford and like everything is different there right and it's, so it's just like it's and then maybe this is a, maybe it's the same thing in america and i'm just used to it there and i can adapt there because yeah. that's where i'm from but here it's just i feel like i'm constantly learning and constantly changing my views on things just based on where i am well, maybe part of it is that you know when when you cut when you come from america to the uk you are an outsider regardless of your race oh yeah uh, whereas when you're in your own country you, you shouldn't really feel like an outsider at all right and maybe that's part of it like if you're learning you're learning new things here yeah so it's okay to be unfamiliar with how it works and yeah. stuff. whereas you know walking down the street in your hometown you should feel comfortable and, and, and familiar right? right yeah exactly i mean it's kind of that thing like in the states if you get lost or whatever and you have out-of-state plates or something like that you're like whatever i'm not from here it's kind of the same thing here it's like if i if i fuck up or if i you know do something that like you know i'm automatically going to be the loud american you know i'm automatically that's what i am you know and that's that's true i'm a very loud person and i totally will take that on but there is no there's no flaw in being allowed expressing yourself right when people say that you're a loud person sometimes that means i don't think you should express yourself as much you know I'm, I'm always a bit suspicious of that that is although true. you know it is annoying when people are loud and maybe i'm sensitive because i'm a loud person <laughs> right? I, I, uh, sometimes like i'll be sitting there and then sophia's like just calm down just, i'm like i'm totally calm right now right like, i get that from my partner too. yeah it's just like <laughs> no we're just projecting it's fine yeah. but yeah so it's just kind of i guess it's I have to learn how to give myself that leeway of being like, you know what? It's going to be a learning process for a very long time. So just kind of go with the flow and, you know, don't, don't, I guess don't think about it too much and don't get wrapped up in it. Like observe it and analyze it as a person and as, as you would, you know, just because curiosity is an important thing. But in terms of like, you know, getting wrapped up in it and being like why is it this way and how do i feel about this and blah 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 it's like i'm gonna feel messed up and weird for a really long time so it's just kind of just all right let's do this yeah right kind of thing so yeah and i think the most annoying thing i think that people at home tell me now is that if i if i try to talk about 
you know, things over here. If I try to talk about like the struggles that I'm having over here, people, people at home are just like, oh, but it's just, it's just England. Mm. It's just the UK. They speak English. And I was just like, you're an idiot. Like, you know, you're moving. Yes. England is our sister or whatever, like your right. motherland. Special relationship. Special, right, yeah. exactly. We're special friends. Right. But like, you know, <laughs> and yes, everybody here speaks English relatively, although sometimes I have no idea what you guys are saying. Yeah, sure. But like, it is a different, it is a different country. Yeah. It is a different culture. Which and is it's, a number of different countries. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like seeing everything, but like with one eye shut, you know, it's like, I understand things, but it's, I understand things to a certain extent right. and that I have no fucking idea. Yeah. You know, and I'm just kind of bumbling about, basically. Yeah. Stumbling with one eye. So, yeah. I think that's that's my pet peeve as as of late. When people are just like, oh, but it's England. So yeah. It's fine. It's a first world country. It's okay. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. And yes, it's a first world country. And like, yes, we have, you know, there are things modern conveniences and like whatever but like if we're talking about trying to assimilate and trying to like live in a culture that is not your own you're always going to feel like you know i'm trying to make this place a home so how do i make this place a home yeah. you know and stuff like that well, and things like first world countries and the, the words like that are, are, are slightly disingenuous as well i feel like like oh, yeah. like it, it ignores the amount of massive poverty in oh, yeah. in america and in and in the uk yep. you know where the uk is a first world country that has uh, spikes to stop homeless people sleeping in front yep. of buildings you know yep. this, this is this that's yep. not that's not like a oh we're a, we shouldn't be I wouldn't. I would hate for the UK to be a poster uh, for for how we should be because right? it's not. This, this hate, is not right. Yeah, and the same goes. Like, same goes for the US. Yeah. you know. Just... But but then that that thing I always find like so all of the things that are happening in America at the moment um, around race, right? Mm-hmm. Y- you often get a lot of people in the UK going, oh, America's terrible about race. And I'm like, we've, our police force have shot people, uh, you know, of colour and people who are not of colour. But, but mm-hmm. we, you know, we have the same kind of things going on here. And yeah. for everyone to be going, look at America, we're nothing like that. Right. You know, what we are, you know, in fact, I think that's the weird thing about the special relationship that the UK and the US have. Mm-hmm. It always seems to me that we're, we're like, we're where we're the same are, are the problematic places. Right, exactly. <laughs> and where we're different, they're the interesting places that I would I like to explore and, 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 and appreciate. Right? Exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> it's weird, though, as, as an American, and I don't understand, I don't know if this is, is this the true thing for most people, but it's fascinating because I was, I was on the tube yesterday. And I guess there was, there was a heavy police presence there. I don't mm. know. I don't know why it was at Holborn. And um, a cop walked on and I was not uptight. Like I wasn't, I didn't feel like something bad was going to happen. And I usually feel that if a cop walks on mm. in the metro in D.C. Like right. I usually, I'm like, oh, fuck, I need to get off of this train. Because, like, either something's going to happen to me or something's going to happen to somebody else. But, like, the cops in, in D.C. On, on our metro police, they look like, like, tactical team, right. like, Navy SEALs, basically. And they're just, they're just police officers for the metro. But they are, you know, black combat boots, black turtlenecks, like, Kevlar vests, multiple guns, like, kind of thing. And, 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 just, and just their attitude towards passengers and towards the public is a very hostile one and I just and I didn't 
I don't know. I didn't feel that. Yeah. On on the tube here, and I was maybe maybe it was because the cop didn't have a gun, or maybe it was yeah. because, you know, I don't know. He was wearing a reflector vest, which I find very interesting. Right. Um, but <laughs> yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe I don't I don't know what that was, but yeah. I feel I feel less, I feel more safe here. Right. than I do in the States. I'm sure that's true. And, uh, and I'm sure there are safe... Like, I think it's... Uh, but again, it's like pockets, isn't it? It's true. And, and, and I see a lot of the police in this country at the moment uh, at, at, at train stations. When I see them, I feel much less safe than I've ever felt before because they are really? often carrying guns now. Yeah. Like, because for me... Cause I, so for you, you're used to seeing cops Yeah, because that, right? that wouldn't phase me at right. all. When I went to Germany a few... Like, a, quite a, a way, way back now, I remember being shocked at... The police having guns, and, really? and and in Amsterdam as well. I've been like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I thought this was a progressive country. Well, I mean, <laughs> now I know it's not, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah. but 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 uh, yeah, that the gun, the actual existence of guns is is still shocking to me. But uh-huh. it's it's actually becoming much more familiar to see transport police or police walking around with with guns at like uh, Waterloo or somewhere like right. that. Not a, not a Hoban probably, but yeah. you know that's yeah. But it's but it is. Def- I mean, it's, I don't know, you know, who knows who, who's, I mean, all I know is whether I'm in America or I'm here, I'm safer when there's a police officer there than, than you would be. Yeah. And that's horrible. <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think about that all the time because I, I, I walk, I, I, you know, at the moment I've got a ridiculously long beard and quite long hair because <laughs> it's the, the winter and I'm staying warm. Hungry um, down. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, I look like, you know, someone who might, might be carrying drugs mm-hmm. right if you know anything about actual people that carry drugs right um and i've never ever been stopped and searched and i've seen so many people be stopped and searched like in front of me and behind me and it, maybe i'm it's like what you say though once you start seeing it mm-hmm. you're aware of it all the yeah. time and i'm I wonder like the last few years if i've just been thinking about it too much you yeah know, i've become hyper aware but yeah. i think that's the thing you have to go through especially as a white person you should go through it. oh yeah i i completely <laughs> agree it's funny talking to my mom about race um we were, we were, I was talking around the phone about the stuff that was going on in Ferguson and the, and, and in New York. Um, and she said something really interesting. She said about, she said something about how, because, because I'm upper middle class, like I'm, I was safer kind of thing. And she was talking about, well, like, you know, like you, you grew up in a very, you know, safe neighborhood. Like, you know, we have, you, you know, you're not your typical Blah, 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 kind of thing. And I was just, I was thinking, I was like, that doesn't really matter. Mm. Like, that doesn't... No one checks your class. No one checks my (laughs) class. Like, that's that's a secondary thing. Like, I have moderately long dreadlocks. I am black. I, you know, you know, kind of, like, kind of stuff like that. Like, I don't, I don't, yes, I don't, I don't hang out with a lot of black people, but that's not just, that's not because of any kind of conscious decision that I've made. That's just how my life has turned right. out or whatever. But it's just, it's interesting that that's where she she went with that. And I think that it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Like you can, unless you you consciously are aware, like you were saying, like if you, if you just let yourself be a smidge aware of what's going on and and actually take the time to like really look at things like why is he behaving that way or why is he walking next to her that way or why are the police doing this and like whatever I feel like you wouldn't say things like oh because you're 
you have right. your family has money, therefore you're safe. But part of it, you know? I mean, if, part of it, of course, is that she that she is going to want to 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 want you to be safer. Yeah. And so people kind of find these rationalizations to a certain extent as well. I think. Yeah, that's another like, thing. Yeah. You know, but I, 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 yeah. I mean, it's 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 strange these kind of generational attitudes to race as well, and all of these kind mm-hmm. of things. And if, if you know, as you're from a by by a family that is got two races, and mm-hmm. and I I see a lot of that these days too like it, it's funny how there's sort of like weird contradictions like where so like my, my dad's 90 mm-hmm. um he will sometimes use and this will be much more offensive to you probably because of your context of your country that you come from anyway but uh he'll sometimes use the word colored right mm-hmm. um where, when he was growing up that was the that politically was the correct right. word mm-hmm. he was progressive um he you know um so i mean I, I i i don't hold that against him when that when that happens i do call him out and he he accepts that you know because right. he's a, a really good guy i mean but then you know he i mean everyone's got I've, i'm sure i've got unacknowledged areas of racism that i haven't addressed but but you know with him i can see them more clearly because they're yeah. generational so he watched the wire and he loved it mm-hmm. and then it, it was a bit of a liability because he would be going up to any black person and saying have you watched the wire the- <laughs> you've got to see the wire and you're like oh god no. don't you know, I know you, 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 you know, I know this is coming from a great place. You're thinking, hey, you know, you're being represented really well. Right. Watch, you know, but, uh, um, and, you know, my mum's, my mum's even worse than, than that. Cause, I mean, she's got less excuse because she's from a 20 years younger mm. generation. But um, she will constantly be like making Jamaican food for Jamaican people, telling Jamaican people all of how, how she appreciates their music and all the things like yeah. this, even when they actually aren't Jamaican. Yeah. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just because uh, the father of my niece is Jamaican doesn't mean that everybody in the sphere around my niece is going to be... Right. right? And, yeah. so it's, and it's that kind of progressive white 60s thing of like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, we, we were in, in the struggle too and oh, we yeah. understand it and oh, like yeah. now now we can, we can comment on it like oh, with, yeah. without any kind of questioning of ourselves you know mm-hmm. it's oh, strange anyway I'm probably like dominating the conversation no 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 no, no. <laughs> I think this, no, no no I think that's totally I think that's completely valid I think my mom my mom definitely falls under that category and none of it is none of it is malicious right. none of it is you know it it like you said it all does come from a good place you know but I think that at some point, at sometimes she's like, "Oh well, you know, I married a black man. Like we have been through. You know, they've been called names. They've yeah. they've gone through all of that." My grandmother was not a fan of my dad when they first got married. Like kind of thing. But she she loves him now. But like you know, it was a struggle, and it's been a struggle, and stuff like that. And so she she feels like she is down with the struggle. She understands what it means, you know, mm. and what it's like. And it's just like, no. No, you don't. You understand one aspect of one thing. Right. You know? And, like, and I don't understand, you know, what it's like to be, to be a, 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 this might sound weird, but, like, I don't understand what it, what it is to be a black person in America or here just because I am not. I am of two worlds. I have, I am, I can't, I can't speak to that, right. to that struggle and that thing because that is not my struggle. My struggle is something different. It's related, but it's different. Right. You know? Right. And so and I think that's the thing, like if you've, if you've experienced some form of oppression, whatever it is, you've got some access to understanding other people's experiences, but that doesn't mean that you understand them. Exactly. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, like I say, I tick all the boxes, but of, of privilege but at school um I was you know I had like there 
a nickname was was created for me and then I was the kid that got that nickname everywhere I went mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of homophobic slurs were thrown at me yeah. despite my my lack of uh, gayness right uh, <laughs> um <laughs> Which is always a weird one. Like, I don't even want to... I don't want to say I'm not gay because it shouldn't matter, right? Right. But if, you know, if you're getting that all the time, you know, it was very... You know, it was a strange experience to someone who was uh, not homophobic. Well, not not knowingly homophobic. Trying to, like, deal with being called called gay by by people. But so I always sort of think that being, like, if you like, oppressed by the, the school community has given me some access, some, um, sim- like, uh, empathy, sympathy, mm-hmm. like, that's why I relate to work by people right. uh, of minority groups. But it, is, it definitely doesn't give me, like, the right to say, I understand it now, and you know what? Because right. as soon as I left that school, guess what? I was fine, yeah. right? It was only in that specific context, because that was prejudice rather than actual structural prejudice exactly you know exactly yeah and I think that can be where the crux is is like you know I feel like or at least on my Facebook wall it's always like you know people like people post articles seven things white people can do to you know help out or you know 10 things white people can do to be more conscious or like whatever and it's just like a those lists are bullshit b (laughs) Posting those lists are bullshit. And, like, three, it's just, if they just, if, if more people, it's not even, it's not even white people. It's, it's, it's everybody. I think if everybody can just look at themselves in the context in which they operate. You know, I operate in this sphere. And, and, and I am related to all these different other spheres. Like, you know, I have, I, I, I am engaged to a white lesbian who is of a, multinational, you know, background. I have a Dutch grandmother. My other grandmother is from the projects in Rochester, New York. You know, my sister lives in Seattle, Washington and hikes up mountains and stuff like that. My cousin lives in Germany. Like, I operate in in my sphere, but I have all of these relations and I see all these people and I interact with all these people who are in their own spheres, you know? And that doesn't make me that makes me aware of what they're going through and makes me aware of their lives, but it doesn't mean that I necessarily understand it, right. you know, because I'm not them. Well, we can never understand, you know? ultimately, we can never understand right. anybody and even maybe ourselves, right? right I, don't, exactly. I don't understand myself, so exactly. how am I supposed to say I can understand anyone else? Exactly, like, how are we, sp- <laughs> how are we supposed to, like, grasp any of those concepts, right. you know? Like, my cousin Cedric, you know, goes to work from, you know, these weird hours to these weird hours, and he lives in this you know, bad neighborhood or like whatever. And I don't, I don't know what his life is like. Like I've hung out with him. Like we are related by blood. Like I would consider him a friend. Like we talk, but I don't know what it's like to be him. Like, and he doesn't know what it's like to be me. Right. You know? And I feel like there just needs to be so much more acknowledgement to that fact. Right. Although yeah. to, to play, not, I don't want to say to play devil's advocate because that, that phrase is fucked now forever. Um, <laughs> but but to, to, to sort of like represent a little bit of like a, a sort of counter argument to the to the uselessness of the seven things white people can do to be. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever shared those articles. I often read a lot of those articles like 
uh, it's not just white people, it's men, or all, right. of, the, all yeah, of the things I am, this, yeah. people are always telling yeah, me how to do it. Yeah. And I do read them, and I do often find some of them to be, some of, you know, they'll be like, I'll agree with points one, three, and seven, but I won't share it because I don't really don't agree with, you know, two yeah. and five, whatever. But I do think that it is, yeah, I really agree with what you said. Uh, about knowing our spheres that we're in but I I think that the the only thing I would say about that is that some people like because we're from the the groups that don't have to think yeah we don't know that we're in our own sphere we're assuming everybody is the same as us and when they're not we're assuming they're 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 worse than us in whatever Mm -hmm. way and so I I think I do think white people and men and uh you know everybody all you know straight people all the things i am have to think about those things yeah. we have to be aware that we're not the dominant that's true uh, yeah like that we're not the only only people on the block you know right. we, we do need to think about how our levels of ignorance of other people's lives can make those other people's lives worse that's true but i also think that it's kind of it's a it's a and i i also hate the term this term slippery slope <laughs> God, I hate that term. But it, but it, it, it can turn into one if, if, if it's like, oh, well, I'm aware of all these people and like whatever, and then, and then it's kind of like I'm gonna take on these struggles as my own, right? And you know, I'm gonna make you know the black struggle my struggle, right? And like you know, we are all, you know, you know, instead of you know, like the the t-shirt, like the I can't breathe t-shirts kind of thing, like it's like we can't breathe, and yeah, it's like no, you can breathe, <laughs> yeah. no, you're fine. But like yeah. you know, it's 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 that thing that I have a problem with. Right. I think. Yeah. yeah. No. I, I mean. I'm, yeah. Well, that's one of the things white people shouldn't do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's definitely on that like, list. That, that, that's the, tr- the tricky thing. Like my, my approach is, you know, sh- white people should talk about these things to white people for definite. Like call out other white people. Mm-hmm. Um. And but but not make money necessarily from calling yeah. out other white people. Not 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 make that. What you know not and really signal boosting other people's uh who have something to say on these issues yeah. is much more important i think for white people to do like when I, I try to you know i try to follow as many different kinds of people as i can mm-hmm. um and i will signal boost the stuff that they say but it's not for me to comment like to say here's what i think of although you know i'm sure i break that loads yeah. of times like we all do right we, yeah. we, we, that's the that's the principle but i'm sure sometimes <laughs> i'm angry and say you know, but well, one one of the things I really try not to do in this kind of current internet climate is I I, I really try not to say white people should do this or yeah. white people should do that as a white person. That's like putting myself outside of that group. Right, exactly. exactly. What you're saying, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like no, you are. There's a, there's an interesting article I read on Huffington Post, and it wasn't it wasn't a race based article. It was about sexism, and it was about men and how men can operate in the world basically as men and it was written by a guy and he he was talking about how it's not about putting yourself in 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 a woman's shoes it's not it's not about it's not about that it's about being aware of yourself as a man Mm. and how you operate in a space it's being it's being it's being aware of that it's being aware of like oh i'm standing here she is standing there what does that what 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 am I giving off to her? Am I am I presenting as a hostile person? Am I presenting as an okay person? You know, kind of thing. And and it's not even. And then he he went on to talk about how it's not the the job of women to come up to him and being like, "This is why you're sexist. This is what's all your problems." It's 
it's him going up to the women and being like, hey, let's have a discussion about this. And I want to learn from you. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not it's not the job of, of the, you know, oppressed, I guess, in, in a word to, to to come up to their oppressors and be like, this is all the problems. You know, it's it's the other way around. Yeah, that you makes know? some sense. Yeah. yeah. And it was just it was an interesting and it was a it was a, a viewpoint that I haven't heard before. And that's why it kind of stayed with me because I was like, that can be a universal thing. You yeah. know, if more more people just kind of, I think, looked looked outside of themselves and say, like, how do I operate in the world and how does that present to other people? Well, genders are really... Yeah. Uh, genders, I mean, gender's probably my primary area of interest at yeah. the moment. Like, I'm making a show about gender oh, cool. uh, for, for Edinburgh and it's going to be, you know, directed at my, men about being a man about how patriarchy hurts men too and all of that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. uh and i mean it's 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 one of the more like it's 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 so i think that men can do that like we can look at how patriarchy hurts us how we hurt women and that's something that's really important for Mm -hmm. us to do because uh it is a kind of system that oppresses everybody within it you know Mm -hmm. uh man woman or in between right are all oppressed by this idea of man woman in like and being the binary and that right. that's all we are um whereas i don't think it's so apl- applicable to race i, I feel like I, I couldn't really make a, a show about me telling white people yeah. how we're oppressed by the concept of race because we're yeah. not yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah exactly yeah it was yeah. i was interested <laughs> I was at lunch the other day, and um, so apparently, so it's a thing. So if you if you tell a woman, if you if you tell a woman or if ask a woman how she would mime being stabbed, women go like this, but men go like this. Really? Yeah, and it's like it's an in, it's like it's a thing. Like we did this for like the whole restaurant. Yeah. There wasn't like a true. I bet it is a true thing. I yeah. think I would go for that one just because of like psycho. Like that would be in my mind. Like, yeah, but but. But maybe that's just my privilege of never being in a situation where I've been stabbed. Right? Well, see, that's and that's the thing. It's like oh, I we... should say so. The, the two, the, oh yeah, we they should... might be not yeah. audio. So <laughs> one, one was a kind of like a, yeah, like like the scene from Psycho, sort of stabbing in a at you kind of. I don't know how to describe. Yeah, that. just like a ee, yeah, like you hold your hand right. up and yeah. it's an active like you're flinging an axe yeah, kind of thing. right. It's it's yeah, coming down at you. Yeah, and whereas men is more. Um, like an underhanded yeah. stab, like Stabbing you would st- if you underneath like, your yeah, rib cage, yeah, you would stab right? someone in the gut, yeah. kind of thing. That's where it, that's where it would be. Sort of vis- very visceral, right? That, Just that, like that yeah. line, right? And I don't know. And I said something. I said something at the point about like why and people were like, oh, I wonder why that is. And I was like, well, maybe. Maybe it's a thing that like women just from their viewpoint, that's how a knife would come at them, whereas men, that's how. They would, they stab, would someone. stab someone. Oh God! Right? And I just, I just said this like out of the blue, or whatever. And the guy sitting across from me was like, "No, that can't be it. Like, you know, like women aren't, aren't, aren't used to like that kind of viewpoint and like whatever." And I was like, "How would you know, dude? First of all, second of all, like, it makes total sense. Like, if you, if you're not, if you're not used to feeling threatened, or if you're not used to feeling." Like okay, I have to I have to pay attention to like what I'm doing now. I I feel tense because I'm walking down the street, or I'm feeling tense because this man is sitting like right here. Like you know, that's you are going to be afraid of someone like coming at you with a knife yeah. like that, right? But if you're if you're stabbing underhand or like whatever, like I don't know I don't know why that made me feel that way. And like he 
he just like really pushed back at that. And I think that's because I was making him uncomfortable by saying that, you know, men are, it, it comes from a point of fear and an intrinsic point of fear on the, on the part of the woman or something like that. And I don't know. I just, I was like, I put that in the back of my mind. Like, Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah. But I mean, also the, the, the one that, so I when I when you mimed the two the two different kinds of stabbing mm-hmm. the, the the male one, um, I definitely felt more visceral about. I actually right. could imagine being stabbed in that way, um, but it's also a kind of more sneaky way of of being stabbed. Yeah. Like it kind of uh, maybe some of that speaks to like men are sort of socialized to be violent so yeah. we're gonna like know like the specifics of how to be violent a bit more right and it also just <laughs> it, it it makes it I don't, I don't know why this makes me think but it feels like a stronger person would stab in the male way right right well this yeah you're more likely to kill someone you're if more, you do that. definitely more likely right. to do that right if you're just gonna yeah, like, if you're like flailing at them like, they can, like, yeah oh, right right oh. yeah kind of thing so i don't know so like, that was a weird that was like a weird yeah. thinking thing. No, I mean, it's, just... it, it's that, that is inter- that's really interesting, actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do that experiment. Yeah, it, it was just, it was weird because the woman, the woman who did that little experiment, it was like on the spot, like without thinking. She was like, if you're going to mind being stabbed, how would you mime it? And one, two, three, go. And I went like this and he went the other way. And I was like, that is weird because yeah. we didn't have, we didn't have time to think about right. it. Right. Exactly. And it was just, yeah. yeah. And then we did it with everybody else. And that's how it went so well, it was just it. Yeah. It's, it's having those the, the lack of time to think about it though that that, that really gets to something like right. the 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 stuff we the implicit stuff the stuff yeah, we can't like find yeah like the, i know there's been studies about with police officers and like pictures of different like offenders of different colors mm-hmm. and like they they did react in a racist way even if they said they weren't racist like, oh, yeah. the, the, this is the yeah. thing like even if you're progressive no matter how progressive you are you're sold the same stuff by the media so i mean i i often wonder if i mean i'm sure there's been studies of this but i often wonder if you know if black people are also more socialized to be afraid of the, the, the black stereotypes that oh we get, no right? that's totally true that's right. totally true i've had i've had multiple conversations um with you know friends and, and just people i've come in contact with about that and i was reading an article about black cops who also feel that way and i was i was thinking about it and i was like that makes total sense because i constantly i was i was in dc once and i was walking back home from a poetry gig And I was by myself, I was walking through a residential neighborhood on the way back to my house. And I live in a pretty urban area of DC, um, not necessarily gentrified yet kind of thing. But I feel, I felt totally safe in my neighborhood. Like, you know, I've never had a problem, you know, once or whatever. So I was walking home, um, I was walking by myself and this guy, he was young, he was black, had like a big, it was during winter, so he was like wearing a coat kind of stuff like that. And he followed me and... I was thinking about it and he was he's like following me for a while and like following me in a way that was like creepy mm. kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I've been I've been mugged before and I've been I've been held up before kind of stuff like that. So I kind of had that feeling, you know? And then I was thinking and I got I got home safe. And I was I was at home, I was thinking, I was like, okay, was I freaked out because I've been mugged before and I know what that feeling feels like when like somebody is following you was I freaked out because he was following me right or was I freaked out because he was black and he was a young kid and I was afraid something was gonna happen to me because of that would I have felt that afraid and that pressured if he would was a white guy 
You know, that's a conversation that I had to have with myself. And then right. I and then I had to convince myself, like, I was, like, fighting myself. I was like, well, no, I wasn't. I wasn't reacting that way because he was black. Like, you know, I would have I would have acted that way if he was white. And it's like, you have to be real with yourself. And, and I don't know which yeah. one it was. You know, I, I know that I was freaked out because I was being followed. And that's where I kind of left it, you know, or else I would have been going back and forth with myself for a long time. You know, but, like, that's the thing that we do that we do think, you know, it's like my dad's been, you know, my dad is a pretty big black guy, you know, I mean, he wears glasses or whatever. He's a hipster, but he's a big black guy. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, like people have like crossed the street, you know, if he's in an elevator, like, like people like hold their bags and like, whatever. It's just, it's an interesting thing because it is something that it is a stereotype that is so ingrained in our culture that it's so hard to escape it. So, like, even if you are a person of that culture, if you even, you know, you are a person of my color or whatever, you're gonna, you, you, you're going to think that. Right. Like, it's not something that's it's an inter- internalized, right? Yeah. So it's like it's it's like how we in this respect it is like gender. Like we we yeah. we've all internalized the negative views of gender. Exactly. Like uh, like. Uh, I mean, every every woman's got an inner misogynist, same as every man. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, which is is is, is horrible for yeah. for everyone. Yeah, and it's ex- and it's and I understand why it's 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 not necessarily talked about or whatever because it's exhausting to think about. You know, yeah, it is. It is yeah. like having that conversation with myself about whether or not I was afraid because he was black or whatever. It was an exhausting conversation. And it was it was frustrating as well because I couldn't come up with an answer. No, right. You know, because exactly. unless you're in that situation, if a white guy is following you, and then you have that situation where a black guy is following you, you have that comparison. You know, then you can then you can you know tell for sure. But having that that back and forth dialogue within yourself is just like fuck. Yeah. You know, I'm just gonna be here forever, right. and I'm not gonna get anywhere. You know, because then I'm going to then I'm going to feel like a shit person. Right. You know, on top of that. Right. You know. Yeah. So it's like it's a, <laughs> it was a weird it was a weird thing. It was a super weird thing. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, I guess I'm never in that position. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly in the position of worrying about if walking behind a, a woman on the street is making them worried. Right, yeah. Like, I, I, that's my position of like having to cross the street and try to like not look like I'm stalking them and then they've crossed the street as well and it looks more like I'm stalking them. Right. You know, I mean, you know, yeah. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter if in my head I'm being neurotic. Uh, it, to to the out, outer world, I still might look like a threat. And so it's, right. it's, it's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and again, if I if I if I spend too much time thinking about all of the ways, I mean, I'm doing it now, like for this show, I'm trying to go through my life and look at my history and what have I done wrong? Where yeah. have I? Where have I done the things that I don't want to have done? And yeah. and, and, and 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 go through that process. And yeah, it, it, it's exhausting. And you get to a point of guilt, and then you know that's a dangerous place to be for someone who's you know not necessarily always mentally stable. yeah <laughs> yeah no I I yeah I understand that it's it's a weird thing because that, that that dynamic exists not just race not just gender it, it exists in in pretty much every kind of facet yeah. that we have right and because and because of that it's just it is it is a thing that is so hard to be aware of at all times, you know, because you, you have to turn your brain off at some point, you know, or else 
you'll go crazy. Or you're like Sophia and just operates that way. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, when, when do you give yourself leeway and, and allowance to just be a person be and a just human. end a fuck up, right. you know? And just be like, oh shit, sorry. <laughs> you know? And yeah. just like, you know, when, when do you give yourself that, that, that freedom to, to just be, yeah. you know, and, and to have that kind of thing. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it is hard because if we're going to grow, if we're going to change, if we're going to improve, then yeah, we need to recognize what we've done wrong, but we also need to kind of forgive ourselves so we can move forwards and not like, exactly. Yeah, it's complicated. Exactly. I mean, there's such a thing about being, learning from your mistakes and being like, okay, well, like I know, like I know, like I was a shitty person, you know, two years ago. Okay, what have I learned? What did I learn then? Like, how do I be a better person to yeah. to now? Like, you know, what what changes can I make? And and acknowledging that, like, I, I fully acknowledge like where I was two years ago or a year and a half ago or whatever was not a good place. But I know I'm in a good place now. So it's allowing myself to forgive what happened a year and a half ago and forgive that person for being a total idiot. Yeah. And for you know pretty much fucking everything up. Yeah. You know, and being like, okay. That was then, and here we are now, and, 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 and I'm okay, and it's okay that that happened, because if it hadn't happened, then I wouldn't be here, you know, kind of thing. So it's like, we can progress with the knowledge of, of kind of where, where we've been, and I think that's one of the most important things yeah. that we can take. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I, I fully agree with that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a constant evolving thing that we yeah. do. Um, so yeah, it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you. The last question I ask people is, do you have anything to plug? Do I have anything to plug? I'm so bad at talking about myself. Um, <laughs> You're good at talking about yourself. Oh dear. Okay, so things to plug. I guess yeah. I guess I just I just moved here, so I'm kind of still getting getting used to to the scene here. Um, but I do video um, production and video editing and shooting and stuff like that. So I guess my plug is me and if anybody has like you know if you want to like shoot a poem or if you have like any editing work or whatever um yeah I'm open to do that I really like doing kind of stuff like that like helping out poets um with their projects so I'm Adele Hampton on Facebook A-D-E-L-E-H-A-M-P-T-O-N um on Facebook and yep that's pretty much the only social media that I have so yeah and do you have a website I I do. Um, it's AdeleHampton.com. But uh, if you want to see, like, samples of work and stuff like that, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. And there's, like, a contact me thing from my email on there. So, yeah. Good. I think, I think you did plug in yourself fine. Okay. Everybody's always, particularly artists, like, yeah, we're always right? really awkward on that one. Like, yeah. You know, like, it's weird, isn't it? We spend all our time saying, look at me, look at me. But we're also, like... I'm not. I'm. I'm not worth looking at. <laughs> <laughs> we're all like, we all have these like massive egos. But we're all like really like masochistic and yeah. like don't want to talk about ourselves. We want to paint ourselves. I don't know what that's about. But yeah. Yeah. And the the last thing I that I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, goodbye! It was nice talking to you. Bye, everybody. The next live stand-up tragedy is going to be Tragic Spring on the 25th of April. On our lineup that night, we have Adele's fiance, Sophia Walker. So that's kind of serendipitous. Put that date in your diaries and come along to the Hackney Attic. 
and join us for a celebration of tragic spring. But the big news from me, the big plug I want to do is, as I said at the start of the show, next week is the Getting Better Acquainted 200 season. So episodes will go out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday of next week. The shows all have guest hosts. They're differently done depending on that guest host's attitude to how that show should be put together. There's going to be cover versions of the theme tune done by different people. So it's going to be some very different feeling shows. The guest hosts I have for you are Helen Zoltzman from the Answer Me This podcast and from The Illusionist, a new podcast that's going out over on Radiotopia. We've got Chella Quint, who is a comedian, zine maker, and all-round excellent person. And I went all the way to Sheffield to record a conversation with her. But then it's Sophia Walker again, this time with co-host James Mackay, And they basically subvert the concept of getting better acquainted in many ways in their episode. They sort of do a situationist approach to getting better acquainted with me. And then we've got my partner, Jen, and the comedian and storyteller, Charlie Harrison. And that is the amazing group of guest hosts who put themselves forward and volunteered to interview me. Thanks to all of them. It's going to be a really great week. I'm very excited. I'm going to be putting together shows this coming weekend celebrate with me by listening to those conversations other ways you can celebrate maybe sharing your favorite episode or episodes from the more than 200 shows that have gone out because the live shows i didn't count as proper numbers and there's been some extra episodes so there's loads and loads of audio out there that you can share tell people about recommend the hashtag that we're using is gba 200 so share your favorite conversations using the hashtag gba 200 but also of use to you might be the podcast twitter handle which is at gba podcast or you can find the show on facebook over 200 conversations and i can't see me ever wanting to stop having them so i imagine we'll go to 300 we'll go to 400 we'll go to 500 there's always new people to get better acquainted with and equally it's always amazing to get even better acquainted with someone that I've already talked to and delve even deeper into who they are what makes them tick getting better acquainted the 200 season coming to an iTunes to a Stitcher to a SoundCloud near you in fact coming to wherever you like to get your podcast from if you follow the getting better acquainted Twitter Also, throughout next week, I'm going to be basically posting all of the episodes in order with a few thoughts on each one as we go along. So you might enjoy that too. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I couldn't get better acquainted without you.